you know, when I tried it, it's really delicious. Some say it's like chicken, only nuttier. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Extension Out Loud, Season 2, Episode 3 of our Harvest Highlights. I'm Paul Treadwell, here with... Katie Belden. In this episode, we're going to take a look at the Wild Harvest Table. Katie, who do we talk to? We talk to Moira Tidball, who is a nutrition educator with CCE Seneca, and she began the Wild Harvest Table program, which... Which is connected to some of her work with 4-H Youth and has grown out of that. The site has been around for about a decade now. Yeah, and there's a lot of very interesting recipes on it. Things like canned Canada goose, which we talk about a little bit more in the episode. And then we venture further afield and talk about squirrel and woodchuck. But it is the harvest (laughs) season, and it is that time of year when we're getting ready to sit down at the table together. So we thought this would be an appropriate episode for this time of year. So, Mo, if you could introduce yourself and tell us where you are and what you do. Good morning. My name is Mo Tidball. I'm the Nutrition Issue Leader for Seneca County Cornell Cooperative Extension. Hey, Mo. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks. And you're here with myself. I'm Paul Treadwell. And I'm Katie Balden. The usuals. Yep. So, <laughs> so, Mo, we wanted to have you in, A, because it's kind of the season where we start thinking about foods and things like that. Uh, harvest is coming in. And you have a website called... Uh, <laughs> Wild Harvest Wild Table. Wild Harvest Table. Yes, it helps when I remember these things. We thought it'd be a great time to talk to you about some of the, the things that are happening with Wild Harvest. And the question we've been asking everybody the past couple episodes is, what has the season been like? So what's the season been like for wild harvesting? Well, it is the season for wild harvesting <laughs> right now. So lots of wild game species are open to hunt at the moment. So waterfall just opened on the weekend. So people that duck hunt or goose hunt were able to get out and possibly harvest some of those. And deer season, of course, is underway. So Wild Harvest Table is sort of a celebration of a hunted game and fish as part of the local food scene. So people that happen to go out and get deer are able to find some interesting recipes and ways to cook it up. And it really also celebrates the whole animal. So a lot of times people don't necessarily use some of the legs on waterfowl, but there's ways to cook them that are absolutely delicious. So try to encourage people to really utilize the most of their harvest, whether it's wild game or um, certainly we also do that with agricultural products as well. Cool. So I was looking at the website and one of the recent recipes is canned Canada goose. So that was that was surprising <laughs> to me. I didn't know you could eat Canada goose. So that's really interesting. How did you come up with that recipe and so part of what I do for Cooperative Extension is all sorts of different food type of activities, food and family activities, and canning is certainly, food preservation is a big topic in our county, and there's kind of a resurgence of that. So we've been doing lots of food preservation workshops, and I was like, hmm, you know, I'm, I'm going to try this with Canada goose, because canning meat actually tenderizes it quite a bit. Hmm. Sometimes Canada goose meat or game meat can be a little bit tough because it's naturally leaner, which is another thing we could talk about in a little bit, <laughs> the nutritional aspect. So I decided to try canning it and it turned out perfect. I mean, it really kind of tasted like prime beef and it really was a hit. How brave do you have to be to try some of these things here? Now, you know, (laughs) popping through the website, I had to pick some of the ones that I thought were a little more rustic, Okay, uh, a little more rustic, like the uh, squirrel braised in apple cider or the braised groundhog and herb (laughs) mustard reduction. These are things that I think I mean, I grew up rural, but I've been citified. So the mm-hmm. idea of um, 
braised squirrel is <laughs> I can't say unfamiliar? that it's unfamiliar. Yeah, unfamiliar is a very kind way of saying. I was going to say I can't say it's it's the most appealing thing, but how many folks do we have across New York State that are actually actively engaged in integrating wild harvested products into their diets? So there's actually quite a few that eat venison. And venison actually is something that's donated to food banks. So actually, you know, Uh people who don't necessarily even hunt are able to enjoy venison. And it's an important protein source for a lot of lower income folks. And certainly in the rural counties, venison is a big part of the diet. Squirrel, I, I guess, is a little bit different. It's very popular in the South, and it used to be very popular everywhere as well. I mean, the old Joy of Cooking cookbooks have squirrel recipes and things like that. I grew up in the suburbs, and I must admit, the first time I was presented with squirrels to cook, I was like, squirrel, okay. (laughs) And, you know, especially around campus, you see them hopping around with their acorns (laughs) and everything like that. Some people call them tree rats. Um, So that was different, but then... You know, when I tried it, it's really delicious. I mean, some say it's like chicken, only nuttier. (laughs) It's really good. You know, I don't know if you've ever had rabbit at a fancy French or Italian restaurant. It's pretty popular in Europe. It it tastes a lot like rabbit. Interesting. (laughs) Well, we could have lunchtime squirrel harvests here on campus, couldn't we? Oh, they're probably (laughs) nice and fat on campus. (laughs) (laughs) There are a number of interesting things that you mentioned and really like it when you sort of answer questions before I even get to ask them. So that's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> but how many of these, you know, down south, we squirrels is still popular and things like that. But how many of these are sort of resurgence from, let's say, depression, post-depression era um, times? You know, there was a time when we were much, I think our palates were much broader, but they were also much more localized or regional. Right. And so I think if you go back and look, as you mentioned, the joy of cooking had some recipes for squirrel. Mm-hmm. Are we really rediscovering a lot of what we used to do? I think we are. And again, sort of going back to the food preservation aspect, I mean, now sort of the hipsters and the DIYers, it's cool to can your own food and to preserve your own harvest. And my husband, Keith Tidball, is here in the Department of Natural Resources, and we've done research on um, the locavore movement and how that influences hunting and fishing because, again, a lot of the hipster DIY are like, you know, I want to harvest my own meat. I want to know where my meat comes from. So I think there is a resurgence in sort of appreciating the animals and going out and harvesting them and if you're going to shoot a squirrel, you should eat a squirrel. And so there are recipes for that. And all the recipes on there, I've tried them all myself. I created them or tweaked them, and, and they're all super delicious. Can you talk a little more about the research that you did on locavore movements and what you found? First thing we found that it's very hard to identify and survey with empirical research locavores. You know, where hmm. do you go find locavores? So we struggled with that a little bit. We did some surveys at farmers markets and things like that. But really, our main research group ended up being Edible Finger Lakes subscription list. Oh, okay. And so we worked with the Human Dimension Research Unit, which has a new name. And um, <laughs> so anyways, we worked with them to do the surveys. And, um, and we found that there certainly were perhaps more interest amongst locavores about hunting and fishing, certainly more acceptability perhaps for it because appreciating, again, where their food comes from and that it's local food and things like that. So we're still working on the research, Mm -hmm. but um, there certainly is an uptick in some of the like articles and the gray literature about 
locavores and hipsters hunting for their food. There's lots of books out there about that now. And actually, a lot of the state departments of environmental conservation are looking at mentoring programs and things like that. And actually, this is really cool. So um, the Quality Deer Management Association started a program down in their headquarters, which is Athens, Georgia, for a program called Field to Fork, which Mm -hmm. actually recruits from the farmer's market, people who are interested in local foods and had never hunted before. It recruits participants to go on a full mentored hunt, to learn how to hunt, to learn how to harvest the animal, to learn how to process it, and then to celebrate with the cooking it. So we are part of a pilot project here in New York State for that. And we went out to the Rochester public market and we recruited people. And coming up here in a few weeks, we're actually going to take them out on their mentored hunts and then cook up some venison and give them lots of recipes. So uh, that's that's exciting. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. I was actually at a, at a nutrition conference, and the presenter kind of made a slam on a squirrel recipe in the joy of cooking. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> because we have found that it's very nutritious, but it is not commonly thought of as food nowadays. Yeah. And so there, there's quite a bit of that. And I suppose in terms of biodiversity, that's probably a problem. I mean, we've actually, in terms of farm-raised animals, you know, people are actually looking towards heritage breeds as well because a lot of times the flavor is better, but we've cut down so much that we only have certain breed of our agriculture products. So I think it's important to keep expanding our palate or at least stop shrinking it. It is a movement. It does take time to get people used to the idea of squirrel or Groundhog, which we would call woodchucks, right? Um, right. As a, as a food source, sure. And rutabaga too, right? I mean, how many people eat rutabaga anymore? That's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when was the last time you had rutabaga, Katie? Ah, uh, my mom grows it, so probably not that long oh, ago. Well, okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, the same satisfaction of of growing your own food and harvesting it from your garden is similar to you know catching a fish or a groundhog. Well, and and, <laughs> and you mentioned fish. That I think is something that's very easy for folks to wrap their heads around. We're used to consuming fish, and so the idea of eating a a brook trout that you've pulled out of a local stream or something like that is not as exotic as the idea of uh, bagging your first squirrel and preparing it. Right, right. So I'd like to talk a little more about the nutrition aspects of wild game. So that's something that's pretty innovative and unique to what you do is coming up with the nutrition profiles of the fish in in wild game. Can you talk about how you come up with the nutrition profiles and where they're utilized, how you're getting them recognized. And I think someone mentioned that the USDA doesn't necessarily have these profiles and that you might be able to kind of fill that void for people. Goodness, I guess it's been almost 10 years that that I started the website. And part of my overall job as the, the nutrition issue leader there in Seneca County is to make sure that the recipes are healthy and follow certain guidelines, phonic guidelines. And so I have software that basically is populated by what's in the USDA National Nutrient Database. And so I can plug in all the recipe ingredients and it pops me up that little nice nutrition facts label Mm. that everybody's used to seeing on packaged products and whatnot. And as I was doing that, I started to recognize that a lot of wild game and fish species were missing. There was just no data on it. For instance, brook trout, which is our New York State fish, and Canada goose. And we live 
you know, Seneca County is right in between Cayuga and Seneca Lake. Mm-hmm. It's part of the Atlantic Migratory Flyway. So we have lots and lots and lots of geese, lot, lots mm-hmm. of goose hunting to be done. And there was no nutritional data on that. So again, part of the research that I was able to do with Keith, we received a hatch grant. And so we identified three species that were missing from the National Nutrient Database. And we worked with USDA to set up a protocol to collect those species and send them into the lab to get analyzed. So brook trout is now part of the database and Canada goose meat is part of the database. And we also did ruffed grouse. And what we did find, comparing, say, Canada goose to domestic goose, it has half the amount of fat, which isn't that surprising, really. I mean, they're out there exercising, flying, and whatnot. But it has twice the amount of iron, which is really cool because they're actually using their rust muscles to fly a lot. (laughs) So that increases the hemoglobin, increases the iron in the meat. So there was sort of anecdotally, everybody's like, oh yeah, wild game meat is healthy, it's leaner, but we couldn't say that for sure. But now we can on those species, which is really cool. That's very cool. And on the website, there are a couple handout cards that people can print that actually on the backside, I have the recipe and the nutrition facts. So we'll link to those so people can take a look at what okay. it's like. I'm holding the venison meatball recipe here in my hand, and it's got 34 grams of protein, which is a pretty substantial amount. Yes, um, yes. So I guess we should all start uh, getting ready for this, huh? Well, you know, it's delicious, too. I don't know. if you, Have you ever had venison a while, back, a while yeah. ago? Yeah. Okay. You know, again, like lots of food, it's all how you prepare it. And because it is lean, you have to do certain techniques like braising or, or long cooking or things like that or not cooking it well done and make it tough. But done right, it, it's absolutely delicious so, and sustainable. <laughs> Around here, it's a little over-sustained, <laughs> exactly, I think. Exactly, exactly. One thing that you mentioned earlier stood out to me, um, that you can donate venison to food banks. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize that. I know that there isn't a market for wild caught game and fish because you can't sell it but it's interesting that you can donate it can you talk some more about that in new york state there it's called the venison donation coalition and if people are are listening and are hunters or even if you happen to hit a deer with your car you can actually ask the officer for a deer tag and take the deer with you and you could drop it off at one of these qualified state butchers that will butcher the animal and you know put it into nice ground packages of one pound packages and send it to the food banks oh that's so interesting (laughs) it is it is and the reason that you can't buy venison it comes back to it it belongs to everybody so um nobody can go out and harvest it and sell it because i don't own it that's that's (laughs) very cool yeah i mean deer are pretty big animals i have a a lot of hunters in my family, and sometimes it's like, oh, my gosh, you have so much venison to eat. <laughs> right. So that's kind of, that's a very cool thing to know, that you can donate part of the animal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, certain areas, especially around here in Ithaca, you know, the harvest rates, they give you so many doe permits because they're like, please, please yeah. control the population <laughs> yeah. of deer. And so people enjoy hunting, but harvest more than they can eat, then, they, then they absolutely they should donate it. We'll we'll be sure to put a link to the venison donation program uh, in the program description for this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why there's so many sort of, I've tried to find lots of different kinds of venison recipes Mm because sometimes people can get bored of venison chili. (laughs) (laughs) So so there's there's lots of different ways to enjoy it. Cool, cool. Yeah, and we'll also link to the site, of course, and, and highlight some of the recipes there. Can you talk about some of the educational programming that you do? 
we did a whole series on food preservation. So we included things like dehydrating fruit leathers and and making jerky, and we canned apples. Actually, we just did one on canning apple pie filling, which could be part mm-hmm. of the Thanksgiving menu. And we're wrapping that up in November, November 14th, with a charcuterie, which will be sort of a celebration of all that we've done. So we'll have pickled vegetables on our charcuterie tray. We'll also have some fermented carrots that are really tasty and some different conserves and chutneys and jams and jellies as long as well as um, the cured meats and things. I don't want to take a lot of your time, but as we're getting ready to wrap up here, what is your Thanksgiving menu going to be like? I'm just kind of curious now. So I am very fortunate that I also have a farm here in the Finger Lakes. So I raise heritage breed turkeys. Ah. So we're going to have a big old heritage turkey stuffed traditionally and potatoes from the garden. And then we always have a charcuterie tray that has things like smoked duck and smoked goose. And we always get some trout out of the lake and smoke that and make a dip out of it, which is really tasty. I'm making venison brisola, which is uh, a cured meat that you slice real thin. It's almost like a prosciutto, but it's made with with the venison, so it's nice and rich, um, and different sausages and things like that. So really celebrating all the wild game that we collect. Like we also have some woodcock. I mean, they're going to do a soup or put it with wild rice, ah. um, something like that. So it, it's a feast. We yeah. celebrate all aspects of the harvest. And from it, sh- it should be a feast. Groomed <laughs> to, to hunted and fished. You did mention grouse and woodcock. Is there a a fair population of wild grouse or or woodcock in New York State? So around here, the Hector National Forest actually has quite a bit. And up in the Tug Hill and Adirondack area, woodcock actually migrate. So when they're coming through, they're very, very abundant and plentiful. They're a funny-looking bird (laughs) with their big old bill. And they're quite challenging to hunt. This episode of Extension Out Loud was produced and edited by Paul Treadwell with help and advice from Katie Belden and R.J. Anderson. 